Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would indeed speak to us this morning. We pray that we might understand what your word says and that we might respond rightly to it. Please be at work in and among us by your Holy Spirit this morning. And we pray that what we do will lead to our lives being glorifying to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was uh, leaving church last Sunday, um, I was just out in the car park here at the, at the end of morning tea, and I was chatting with Jimmy and Ange Turnbull, and they were uh, heading off camping with lots of other people from church, Wongs and Macs and Brazzles and Ecobs and Brunkers and so on. Uh, they've spent the week up in Umina camping. As they were leaving, Ange said to me, you should come camping with us all. You'd love it. It's not the first time she's invited me. But I have to say, just between you and me, you need to keep this a secret, uh, the idea doesn't thrill me. It's not just that I don't like camping in the rain. It's that, well, (laughs) as much as I love you, I work every day with church people. And, and, And as much as I love you, you're not perfect. You have your problems, your issues, your faults. And so the idea of spending one of my precious four weeks of holiday from church with a whole heap of church people, well, let's just say I haven't said yes yet. Uh, Church people, Christian people, they're not all, Jimmy and Andrew exception, of course, but they're not all all that easy to love, are they? Uh, Some of them are nice. The ones who are nice to you from a distance, but with real church people with whom you get into real relationship, like camping together or something, it's not always roses. Uh, We are all sinners. Some of us uh, don't have very much in common at all apart from our shared faith, and relationship can be difficult. And so the temptation is strong, isn't it, to keep your distance. The temptation is strong to keep your space, Uh, not just four weeks a year, but 52 weeks a year. The temptation is to steer clear of church altogether, just never go. Or else if that makes you feel too guilty, the temptation is to show up, put on a smile and make sure you stay uninvolved. Run a mile from anything too close, too intrusive, don't serve anyone, don't love anyone, never get into any personal conversation, talk only about the weather, sport or movies, endure your duty for an hour on Sundays and then quickly retreat to the safety of your own castle. It is a temptation, isn't it? Christian relationships can be difficult. It's a real temptation to withdraw. All right. Well, do you remember what we've seen so far in this book of Joel in the three weeks we've been looking at it together? Israel, do you remember they faced a terrible locust plague? You remember locusts, the little bugs that eat everything in their way? Um, They've faced a terrible locust plague already, but Joel says worse is still to come. God is sending an unstoppable army of locusts. They will devastate Israel. And Joel says to Israel, you've got to come to the temple, you've got to repent of your sin, you've got to cry out to God for mercy, and perhaps, perhaps he will save us. That was week one. Then do you remember last week we saw the good news? Israel did gather to the temple. They did uh, 
cry out to God for mercy and God did hear their plea and he decided not to send the locusts. He decided instead to save and to bless his people. And then, do you remember, it was just right at that point with Israel gathered at the temple going, phew, it was just at that point of incredible relief, of incredible joy, that Joel looked into the future and he said that God is going to give a salvation to Israel that this is just a foretaste of. He said in that day, it won't just be me prophesying, he said all God's people will prophesy. He said, in that day, God's judgment will come, much worse than just locusts. He calls it the great and dreadful day of the Lord. But he says, in that day, God will again save his people. It'll be a day when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, now in Joel chapter 3, what Joel does is he explains more about that that, that future salvation that he's just introduced at the end of chapter 2. He tells more about this future day when God's judgment will come and when God will save his people. And he begins by saying in Joel chapter 3 that it will in fact be a day of dreadful judgment, a day of judgment for God's enemies. And specifically, he says, they will be judged for how they have treated God's people. These nations, they have hurt God's people On that day, God says, you will get what is coming to you. Joel chapter 3 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Joel chapter 3 and verse 1. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat means the Lord judges. So this is judgment valley. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. The nations will face God's judgment because of how they've treated his people. And now in the next section, God focuses on three nations in particular, three enemy nations in particular. There's Tyre, Sidon and Philistia. Uh, These nations have plundered the Jews. They've taken their stuff, sold them into slavery. God says, you'll get what you deserve. You'll end up slaves yourselves. Verse 4. Now, what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. See, I'm going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them and I'll return on your own heads what you have done. I'll sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah and they'll sell them to the Sabians, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. God now addresses the nations and he says, basically, he says, put up your dukes. He says, get your hands up, bring it on, on guard, because we're going to fight. God is going to fight with these nations. They better get themselves ready. Verse 9, proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weaklings say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side, and assemble there. God's being a bit like Clint Eastwood there, don't you reckon? It's go ahead, 
make my day, bring it on, give it your best shot. Um, Joel, as in his own comment, he says, God, assemble your warriors to this battle, end of verse 11. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. And then God continues. He says, he says to the nations, come, face my judgment, verse 12. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of judgment. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. God speaks to his angels. He says, execute my judgment for me. Verse 13, swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow, so great is their wickedness. And now again, Joel describes the day. It'll be a terrifying day of judgment for those nations. Verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. That doesn't mean they get to decide. This is God's decision. This is God's verdict on them. A better translation would be in verdict valley. Multitudes in verdict valley. For the day of the Lord is near in verdict valley. The sun and moon will be darkened. We've got images from Locust Plague again. And stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble. Do you get the picture? This day of the Lord, it is a day of judgment for the nations. They will face God as their enemy and they won't have any choice but to fight. And they won't win. Uh, this is something I've never talked about, I don't think, in a sermon before. But many, many, many years ago, I used to do karate. And I vividly remember my exam to become a black belt. Uh, we had to do all kinds of exercises and moves and, uh, and things together for a couple of hours until we were completely exhausted. And then came the final test. I think it was 12 black belts who were standing in a line and I had to fight every one of them, one after the other. I think it was for 90 second rounds or something like that. I remember standing there looking at this line of blokes. Every single one of them was a better fighter than me. Every single one of them could beat me up with no problems, even if I was fresh, let alone exhausted and sweating and bleeding and broken tooth and, and, and I had to face 12 of them. It was an absolute no-win situation and just as I was looking for the exit to run, I heard the call, right, bow, hajime, which means put up your dukes and then the first bloke jumped on me and started punching me. <laughs> I had no choice but to fight. You take God on in a fight, you are not going to win. Like with me in my exam, there is no possibility of winning. But like with me in my exam, on Judgment Day, God's enemies will not have any choice. The nations won't win, but they will have to put up their hands and fight. Multitudes will be called to Verdict Valley, and the Lord will roar and thunder in judgment on them and defeat them. Not a happy day. But, but for God's people, for those who've called on the name of the Lord, it'll be a day of rescue. God will protect them. Halfway through verse 16. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. And God describes more of what's going to happen to them. They're going to be safe from their enemies. God's going to be present with them. They'll be at peace. Verse 17. Then you'll know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. God goes on to say that there will be abundant blessing. Uh, 
wine, milk, and the image is, is given of, of water flowing out of the temple. It's a very famous image in Ezekiel as well, isn't it? Water flows out from the temple to water, it says, the valley of acacias. Acacias are trees that grow in really dry, desolate places. So, so in other words, from, from the house of God, from the presence of the Lord, abundance and blessing will flow out. Life will flow out. Verse 18. In that day the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. And so Joel brings his book to an end by showing the stark contrast. The day of the Lord will be a day of, of judgment and of defeat for God's enemies because of the way they've treated his people but his people will be forgiven and blessed with the very presence of God. Verse 19. That Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste, because of the violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. The Lord dwells in Zion. Okay, can you see what's here in Joel chapter 3? Uh, Joel is talking more about this, this future day that he's been prophesying. He says it will be a time of judgment for God's enemies, but his people who call on him, all who call on the name of the Lord, will be pardoned and blessed abundantly. Well, friends, we saw last week, didn't we, that this salvation that Joel prophesied is our salvation in Jesus. Do you remember we saw... Um, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And uh, Jesus had died and risen again and, and ascended to the right hand of God and poured out the Holy Spirit and, and, and Jesus' people started speaking in tongues, to, declaring the, the wonders of God and, and the wondering, people wondering what was going on. And Peter stood up and he said, this is it. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In other words, that day of the Lord prophesied by Joel, it's happened in and through Jesus. God's judgment came onto Jesus on the cross. And there was darkness and signs. God's salvation is available now to all who call on Jesus. And the Bible says there will be a final day. A day when we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. A day when God's enemies will be finally defeated a day when God's people will be permanently pardoned and blessed. Friends, what Joel predicted, it has come true in Jesus. It will come to its final conclusion when Jesus returns and that leaves us with a decision to make. Friends, we need to choose sides. We need to, we need to decide, whose side am I on? Jesus put this so clearly. He said, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then he went on to say, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. God sent Jesus to save us from perishing. If we call on him, we, we, if we have eternal life, but if we reject him, if we refuse to call on him, if we, if we reject the only one who can save us, then we stand condemned before God. Friend, whose side are you on? Have you called on Jesus to save you? Have you acknowledged 
that you are a sinner who has never perfectly loved God? Have you acknowledged that you deserve to be his enemy? Have you relied on Jesus' death and resurrection to pay the price for your sin? Have you called on Jesus to save you? If you have, then you look forward to the blessing that Joel prophesied here. You look forward to being with God, to receiving life and abundance from the presence of God. But if you have not, then get ready to fight. Put up your dukes. Because you are God's enemy. And the day of battle is drawing near, a day when you will have to fight, a day when you will be defeated once and for all. Whose side are you on? Can you see, there is no more important question that you could ever ask yourself. There is no more important decision that you could ever make. Eternity is in the balance here. Friends, call on Jesus. Choose his side. But there's one other thing that I want to reflect on from this passage here in Joel. Did you notice why God judges the nations? It's based on how they've treated his people. Now, as I said a few weeks ago when we covered a similar passage in Zephaniah, this still has application for how we treat Jewish people. It's talking about Jewish people and it still applies. God may be angry with the Jewish people, but that is no reason for anyone else to mistreat them. They are his children and other people should keep their nose out of God's business. God has no patience for anti-Semitism. He will rise up and judge those who persecute Israel. But I want to take it a bit further today than we went uh, the other day. This, this doesn't just apply to Jewish people because God's salvation in Jesus, it comes to all who call on him, no matter what race you are. Just have a look at the next passage. I've got this on your outline. You can see where I am now, bottom of the left-hand side. And just notice how the Apostle Paul quotes from the book of Joel and notice what he does with this and shows that God's salvation is for everybody. So it says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, this is from Romans, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for, as Joel said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. doesn't matter who you are. You can call on Jesus and he will save you, Jew or Gentile. And you know what? If you call on Jesus to save you, you will actually become God's person. And that's what the next passage here says. This is from uh, 1 Peter. This is talking to people who've put their faith in Jesus, people from all different nations. Uh, Peter says this, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see, if you rely on Jesus... You become God's person. And this stuff that God says in the book of Joel applies to you. This is actually a beautiful thing. It means God identifies himself with you. It means Jesus identifies himself with you. Reminds me of that uh, famous story in the book of Acts. You've heard of the road to Damascus experience. Well, uh, the original road to Damascus experience is that uh, Saul, who later became Paul, he was out trying to persecute Christians. He was chasing them down and putting them in jail and that kind of thing. But then on that road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him. The thing is, I don't know if you've ever noticed before exactly what Jesus says to Saul or Paul. 
I've put it on your outline. Have a look, have a look at what Jesus says. As Saul or Paul uh, neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Who was Saul persecuting? Christians. But who does Jesus say he's persecuting? Jesus says, you're persecuting me. Do you get the point? You become a Christian and Jesus identifies himself with you. What people do to you, they do to him. That, that's a close relationship, isn't it? That's not the sort of relationship I have with just anybody, perhaps with my wife and children. Are you, if you're mean to them, I take that personally. Uh, if you, you harass them or hurt them, I, I take that very personally. My wife, my children. But imagine that is the kind of relationship that you come into with Jesus as a Christian. That's quite special, isn't it? It's not just that you're forgiven and now keep your distance. You are forgiven and now Jesus identifies himself with you. But you know, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Because Jesus, like Joel, he carries this thought forward to Judgment Day. Did you see it in our second reading? Our second reading, it's Judgment Day. Jesus separates the, uh, the, the sheep those who have called on his name, those who, who, who are saved by Jesus, from the goats. And then did you notice the basis on which they were judged? It was what they had done about Jesus' people. I've put just the, uh, the goats there on your outline again. Then Jesus will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, his brothers, his people, you did not do for me. Do you get the point? What you do or do not do for Jesus' people, you do or do not do for Jesus himself. And that will come out on Judgment Day. Of course, for those who love and serve Jesus' people, for those who, who give their lives uh, to, 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 to love and to serve uh, God's people, that, that is good news, isn't it? And that was there in the reading as well. Jesus welcomes his sheep into his kingdom and he, he blesses them for, for feeding and clothing and, and, and visiting and all that sort of stuff of his people. Friends, God hasn't changed his mind since the book of Joel. He takes very seriously how his people are treated. He will judge those who hurt his people. He will bless those who love and help them. Now, that is bad news for those who persecute Christians. And we could talk more about that. Uh, that is good news for those Christians who are persecuted. We could talk more about that. But what I want, want to just briefly finish with this morning is, is this thought, because this is relevant to all of us. It leaves us with a second question. How are you treating God's people? Now, as I said at the beginning, church people aren't all all that easy to love, are they? We have our problems, we have our issues. Uh, getting genuinely involved in each other's lives can be difficult. Showing real kindness, it's costly. Showing real love, it, it can be hard. 
But I reckon this is good reason to do it, don't you? I imagine, I imagine that if Jesus himself walked through that door, that we would want to be involved with him, don't you? I imagine that if Jesus himself walked through that door, we'd want to welcome him. I imagine that if Jesus himself walked through that door, we'd want to be quick to be his friend. I think we might want to talk to him about something perhaps even slightly more deep than the weather. Oh, hi Jesus, nice weather. See you next Sunday. I think uh, if Jesus himself walked in that door needing help, we'd be jumping at the chance to help him, wouldn't we? Friends, Jesus did walk in that door this morning. Over and over again, every time one of his people walked in. I wonder how did you treat each other? What you do for Jesus' people, you do for Jesus himself. And what you do for Jesus will have its reward on Judgment Day. That's good reason to love and serve other Christians, isn't it? It's good reason to bite the bullet, get over the obstacles, get over the difficulties, get involved. I still think it's okay to have four weeks a year without you. Although, feeling a bit guilty because of this talk, I did go and spend a bit of time with the campers this week. I have to say, you look like you're all having a lovely time up there. Uh, look like the kids were having a great time. I'm sure I'd have an excellent holiday with you if I went with you. Maybe if the committee management gives me a fifth week of annual leave. <laughs> and maybe if they buy me a waterproof tent. <laughs> anyway, this is good motivation, isn't it? What you do for Jesus' people, you do for Jesus himself. What you do for Jesus will come out on Judgment Day. Friends, Judgment Day is coming. Joel predicted it. It's been proved in Jesus. So let me just leave you with these two questions. Whose side are you on? And how are you treating Jesus' people? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank and praise you for your wonderful, magnificent salvation in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that though we are richly deserving of your judgment, that you have stared you have instead chosen to pour that judgment onto Jesus himself on the cross so that we can be set free, and more than just pardoned and set free, but welcomed as your people. We thank you and praise you that you would draw us into a relationship so close that you would even identify yourself with us. We thank and praise you for the abundant blessing that will be ours in Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would have mercy on those many people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and have no opportunity to call on him. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to decisively choose sides. We pray that you might help us to love your people and to share the great news of what Jesus has done. We pray it in his name. Amen.